0: Hello, and welcome back to the Micro Advice Podcast. Today, our spotlight topic is on how customer-facing professionals can effectively use advanced technologies while still being human to their customers. To better understand this concept, we're here with Abby Hammer, Chief Customer Officer of a leading customer success platform, Churn Zero. Abby, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Happy to be here, Jim. Thank you.
0: I'm, I'm thrilled to speak with you, and I've seen you on so many other podcasts, so this is a, a sincere pleasure of mine. Uh, so, Abby, I understand at Turn 0 you're responsible for delivering a superior CX mm-hmm. through all points of the customer's lifecycle, from mm-hmm. product strategy, implementation, adoption, expansion, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I, I take it based on this, you've seen what works well and probably what doesn't work so well when it comes to CSMs using particular tools. Sure. So I uh, want to jump right in with you know, what exactly are the leading practices you've seen or maybe have uncovered for your customers when it comes to effectively using the technologies that augment a very good experience while still allowing them to be
1: human? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's a topic I could probably talk to you for four days straight about. So I'll start by saying that I think when we look at putting technology into any human to human interaction, we really need to start by thinking about what should its place be? And to me, that starts with asking yourself and your team a lot of questions. So questions like, when is a human really required? Like when is the information and the touch point best delivered by a human? Versus when is it actually preferable that it be a sort of tech touch or a lighter touch? When do you want your customers to work independently from you? Um, it's also important to have conversations around processes and the goal of being proactive as a CSM. So asking CSMs when they feel reactive versus proactive and how many times they're asking themselves like, oh, if I'd only known X just a little bit sooner or if I'd only done Y a little bit sooner, you know, and asking them about repetitive actions that they do every single day. And then to drive all of this, we really need to ask questions about what data we need to holistically understand our customers. Because if we're going to get into using technology to enhance how we work with them, we need to make sure that that technology has a deep understanding of them as well. So if you start with those questions and and really dig in, I feel like the white space around where technology can be a plus, you know, and a real add and enhancement to what you're doing um, becomes pretty, pretty clear pretty quickly. You know, And I think the other thing I'll say on this front as a, as a starting spot is to say, I think a lot of people when they think about technology and any kind of customer or interaction, their minds immediately jump to automated messaging, which is certainly you know, an important component of a CS practice or sales practice, marketing practice. But it's it's not the only thing. When we think about how technology can help us provide better customer experiences, there's a lot of options besides just automated communication. It goes all the way back to things like insights, you know, how well do you know your customer? How completely do you know your customer? It's about awareness. How quickly can you be aware if things are changing, if things are needing attention or needing some sort of touch point? And then certainly there is the communication part. And for anybody who's first experimenting with automating communication in, in their CS process, I tell them the worst thing you do is take the human out of it. Keep the human in. We have to come back to, you know if it were me, if I were the customer and I was receiving this, What is the right piece of content and what's the right time to receive it? Um, You know, generic content gets us generic reactions and that doesn't equal good customer experiences. So the more personalized and human we can be about how we write and when we trigger those, those communications, the better the results.
0: Yeah, those are very, very good insights, particularly the one about communication. I'm a huge advocate for true and honest communication and ongoing with your customers uh, something I've incorporated early on. And it's definitely, you, you could see the the benefit of that. But mm-hmm. also you mentioned something there about using particular sorts of automated messaging. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed now you read a ton of articles about digital transformation. and mm-hmm. And my sense is a lot of customers or a lot of companies don't fully understand the impact of going through a digital transformation and really what is the driving factor on customer experience. Mm -hmm. You can't digitize a human back and forth or human engagement Mm -hmm. with a particular tool in every single case. Sometimes it it can be beneficial, but Mm -hmm. not hundred percent of the time where you Mm -hmm. can just get rid of that. That yeah,
1: yeah. Humans will never be not a part of how we work with customers in an effective mm-hmm. way, particularly for certain solutions and certain tools. You know that that one to one connection is just necessary, very necessary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Abby, that that actually brings me to another point that mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about you know, bringing up with you, and while we're here, I'd yeah. say let's explore a little more on it. But you know, my sense is that with a lot of these. Particular tools, specifically AI-related mm-hmm, tools, mm-hmm, there's this fear out there among the customer base that this thing is going to take away jobs and it's going to replace many humans. Not all, but you know, many uh, human-led roles now and have an algorithm do all the stuff that a, a team of X number does. So, what's your thoughts about this? What's your take on it?
1: Yeah, you know, I agree. There is a bit of of subtle fear, but. My instinct is is that a lot of that fear is, is unfounded. So, I look at our counterpoint, our counterparts in sales and marketing. Actually, to to when I think about is this fear something that should be real or not? So, most organizations, their marketing and sales teams invest really heavy in technology to enhance and accelerate the buying process. Um, and those teams are pretty heavily rooted in automation and even in AI to to you know to certain degrees, and it's developing more and more. Yet I don't hear as much worry out there around like, well, one day we're going to wake up and we're not going to need a marketing team or we're not going to need a sales team because we'll just be able to, you know, automate the entire buying process without without humans being involved. So I think to me the same is true for CS. Um, you know, there's always going to be a place for human to human engagement. Again, particularly for certain types of solutions. And even for solutions that are more heavily self-service, and we expect the customers to be a little bit more independent on their own, there's still humans required to properly support those customers. Um, now, I do think that we have already seen, and we can, we will continue to see, customer-facing roles changing because of the spots where AI can help us take off some of the busy work. I think that's the real power that's there, is to say. What are the things that humans are doing right now in the CS world because we don't have the help, not because it's actually the best use of our human brain and the time that we have to give in a day. So I would actually hope that we see roles continue to change all in the service of a better, more ideal customer experience, you know, getting them the right information at the right time, ideally even before they need it, and reserving those human moments for when it's going to have the biggest impact. And if that happens, I think that's all positive progress. So, you know, I'm excited about the possibility.
0: That's very, very stellar insight. I, <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the guidance there around automating some routine tasks mm-hmm. that it may not be the best use of uh, a time or, you know, particularly a more senior person where they sure. could be expensive to the customer, to the, to the team and putting more forward thinking motives in, in place. Absolutely. So Abby, I want to turn the attention to what I'm sure is one of your many hats, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) particularly the onboarding process. Mm -hmm. So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of best practices floating out there around how to nail the onboarding. But as it relates to a CS or CX software, what have you seen work that truly tees up your customers for success?
1: Yeah, it's an important question. You know, the the CS space is still growing, still maturing, you know, so a lot of the, a lot of the teams we work with when they join zero you know, it's their first real purchase, you know, of a CS platform or their first real implementation. So, you know, as a, as a group, we're learning a lot of things about what it means to have a successful implementation of, of CX software. You know, I think the best approach you can take is a really honest one, which is going to be a, a strange way to, to say it. But the two biggest challenges we see from our customers, and I, I'm going to go on what feels like a sturdy limb and say I think this is true for all CS platforms or CS software, is the two biggest challenges that our customers often face is first, data accessibility and quality, and two, commitment. So on the first one, data accessibility and quality, Any vendor that you go with is not going to be able to solve your data problems, particularly if the role of that vendor is just to take in that data in a way that a a CS platform often is going to. Hey, we need to collect all your customer data so that you then can act on it. So making sure that as the leader of a a CS team, that you have done the work internally to make sure that you have the right and the ability to get a hold of customer data, ask for it to be in certain ways, have partnerships in sales and in product and in other places that are going to allow you to get the data that you need in order to make uh, sound decisions in whatever system you use. And that can be... Data is never perfect, so that's also a journey. You know, you you don't let the uh, you know perfection be the enemy of good. There, try to move forward, you know the best that you can, because you're never going to have 100% perfect data. But know that that's an important component of being successful with any platform. You know, but particularly a CS platform. And then two is the commitment. You know, it's a I, I use the analogy all the time, but it's it's like having a gym membership. If all you do is pay the dues, but you never actually go to the gym. You're not going to achieve whatever goals you had in mind when you signed up for that membership. You know, you actually have to go and, and do the things that are going to align with whatever you're hoping to accomplish. And implementing CX software should be uh, should have a lot of impact, a lot of changes on what you do, because it's a real moment to rethink what you do, restructure what you do, and use the best use of the resources that you have, be they technology and human. So be prepared that there is effort that goes into doing that and doing that well, and it'll have a direct correlation on your long-term success.
0: Okay, that's very, very interesting insight there, particularly around the data aspect. Mm. So you know, with that, how, how would a company know, at, you know, at what, what inflection point or what size would a company know when it's time to adopt the CS software? Mm. But and here's My suspicion is that a, a smaller, younger company could either fall in one camp where it's they don't have a lot of data, or mm-hmm. the data they do have isn't really structured and organized yet to mm-hmm. elicit the results that a tool like Turn Zero could, mm-hmm. could help them deliver.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's certainly a double-edged sword. You know, a smaller team is uh, in some ways probably going to be more nimble. And like, if you need to make data changes, they might be able to do that more rapidly. But on the other hand, they're also usually wearing a bunch of hats and trying to do a bunch of things. So adding another thing to the to-do list is, is a little bit daunting. You know, I think the window in which you want to look at technology is, you know, my CEO and I just actually did a webinar not too long ago around sort of the stages of, of customer success maturity. And we called the first stage the build stage, where you're sort of getting your house in order, getting your foundation set so that as you put things on top of it, you have a stable place to start from. And that build stage we said is really product market fit anywhere up to around six, maybe 10, uh, 10 million in ARR. So you've got a good window there that usually correlates to somewhere between five and 10 CSMs, you know, may vary a bit depending on the types of customers you support and the type of product you support. But somewhere in that window is where you likely want to figure out how you're going to do this for the long haul. Because there is a danger on the flip side of waiting too long. And then the hill you've got to climb to accomplish it gets that much more steep. The the messes you've got to sort through, the change management you've got to handle, all of that sort of stuff is just a little bit more challenging if you you wait a little bit too long.
0: That's an interesting thought. And I, I didn't take that into consideration because there's you know, as a as a younger company you're looking you maybe even newly funded you're looking to see what tools can help you but waiting too long and putting a particular important tool like this one or some other CRM on the back burner mm-hmm. could be more detrimental in the long run i really really like that
1: it, um, it could be and it's uh, it can also be distracting for your team I, you know if they get really set in their ways it's all it changes hard whenever you do it, so you know if you've got people who are too set in your ways, it can be it can be a bit more challenging for sure
0: Whenever I was meeting with a new customer or new client and we walk through the type of data that we needed to assess or tools they're using, I can't tell you the number of times I heard, "Oh but well, that's in Excel, yeah you know, that's mm-hmm. it everything's mm-hmm. in Excel and done. Mm-hmm. It, it, the
1: ultimate business tool, Excel. It really is. <laughs> which,
0: which, as you can imagine, many times, you know, if it's an Excel on on your desktop and an Excel on my desktop, the same files look nothing alike,
1: mm-hmm. though
0: they're intended to deliver very similar outcomes. Mm-hmm. So that that's always a challenge right from the start. But to your point, if you take a look at what are the most critical tools you need to deliver a good customer experience. Mm-hmm that exact problem can be avoided because the data can reside in, an, in a more orchestrated manner right from the get go.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, it may sound strange, but I think one of the best indicators that you're reaching that time is anytime you feel anxious about new CSMs when you're like, Oh, if I could just take one of my first couple of CSMs who I trust with my life and, and, clone them, that would be the best thing versus continuing to hire people. Is It's that moment where you say, ah, okay, now we've got enough people doing enough things that we need to start looking at consistency for ourselves, for our customers. We need to start looking at data and how we track it and how we understand and how we socialize it. Um, so it, it's a strange thing to think about, but I think the moment you're like, oh, wish I, I wish I could clone instead of hire new, that might be your trigger right there.
0: Okay, very good. I like that. Abby, so uh, final question for today, yeah. and I could I could go on all day with you, but this is, I want to be respectful of your time. There, there's, a, there's a ton of discussion out there now, and mostly around, we have to put CX first, customer first, and, and you know, there's metric after metric after metric and data points, statistics around why it's beneficial to do this. Mm-hmm. However, I've also noticed on the other side is many executives say, well, I have a customer support team, so I'm covered, or I have a CS team, but maybe it's not used as effectively as it could. My hypothesis is sometimes good customer experience is hard to capture a very crisp ROI. Mm -hmm. So how do you overcome the naysayers Mm -hmm. when they, they could come back with, yeah, I can't really define the ROI, so we'll put this on the back burner and focus on net new sales or product enhancement, something that I can get my arms around?
1: Yeah. So, the first way I'll answer that is that I think there's a little bit of a almost religious discussion within CS about if they own the renewal, if they own expansion. I think for teams that do, that makes the ROI conversation much cleaner, you know, because if you are ultimately responsible for those dollars, then heck, a simple conversation with finance is. Say like, hey. Hypothetical, if we if we improved retention two percent, what does that do? And then let the numbers just like speak for themselves. You know, so so there is, if you if you've got those dollars, I think a it gives you more power within your organization. It gives you a seat at the table for big important conversations. It makes it easier to pitch for things like budget and you know resources for technology and human resources things like that. For the teams that don't own the dollar, it, it can. It feels mushy a lot, and I think there are some stats out there that can that can help. You know, like some people will use some form of customer survey. You know, MPS, CES, CSAT, pick your favorite there—and say, "Hey, this number that we see—if it's if our customers are more happy—that correlates to, you know, that correlates to renewal being better. And so that's a metric that we're going to center around, and we know what makes our customers happy. So you can tie some of that to to that ROI." So uh, uh, all that to say, if you aren't sure what the ROI is, I would try to pick something to anchor on, even if you're not sure that that's going to be the thing that you anchor on long term. Again, let's not let perfection be the enemy of good here. You, know, you might start by saying the measure of whether we're being impactful on our customers is something like NPS, and eventually it evolves into something bigger and, and more complete. You know, so, so get started would be my first advice there. And for anyone who's not sure, the fact that we're still talking about whether support is the same thing as success for any of that, you know, as sincerely with, with true sincerity and as much objectivity as I can have doing what I do, I'd say, to be a little bit blunt, like, don't be behind the times. There, get get on board. It's happening. This is the way our this is the way we're moving. CS teams are increasingly owning more and more of the revenue that's uh, you know that that belongs to the business. We saw in 2020 how important it is to circle around your current customers in any kind of situation. They're the ones that are going to keep you afloat. Oof. Letting a lack of of perfect clarity be the reason that you don't dive in the pool at all. Is not going to serve you well in the long term. You know, no successful leader was like, eh, I don't need to look into whether I can be more effective and efficient. You know, putting your head down in the sand is is probably not going to be a, a great way to get going. So, I would I would encourage some sort of metric. I think just soft, like, well, we talk to customers this much is really hard to sell much of anything on. Really hard to convince your team of their value, to convince others of your team's value as well. So, I would pick some sort of metric and don't get overcommitted to that metric. Allow it to change as what you're asking your team to do changes as well.
0: And with that, do you have any thoughts on, maybe not a particular type of metric, but how many is too many? Is mm. it, again, similar debate where it's, do I need one or two? Do I need mm-hmm. 30? Mm-hmm. How, do, how many metrics are required or even just directionally to give yeah. you some sort of indicator? Hey, here's what's happening out there.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know that there's a magic number though. I belong to the school of probably less is more in this scenario. I think if you've got too many numbers floating around, it becomes a lot to keep track of. It becomes a lot to say like, okay, we're tracking 10 different things. Which ones matter the most? Like, you know, if eight of them have problems, what do we go tackle first? So I think having a bit more of a a condensed set makes things more actionable. Actually, I think the most one of the most important things to do when you think about metrics is to think about both the finish line and the path to get to the finish line. So, for example, a lot of CS teams, my own included, one of the main metrics that we look at is revenue retention. You know, are we keeping customers? Are we growing customers? Are we adding to the business's bottom line? But that is a that's a finish line metric. If I just look at that and I'm not looking at anything that results in whether i keep those customers you know the 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 work that goes into that and shows me whether that work is being successful then i'm only getting half the picture and even worse i'm getting a picture that i can't truly act on like i can just shout about like you know let's make this retention better but how you know what do we actually look at so making sure you've got a blend of understanding impact to the business so those finish lines but also the numbers that are going to make sure you get to that finish line in the way that you want
0: very good i really appreciate that cuz Oftentimes, when particularly around metrics and, and performance management, it, it's such a tricky topic. Everybody has an opinion, and mm-hmm. the opinions are all over the place. Of do we want one score? Do we want ten scores? Do we want a handful of uh, different indicators? Then how do we pull the data? Which ones are more important? This this debate always is probably one of the more difficult ones to nail down, even more so than strategy.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and people get really People who have been in it for a while get really committed to certain things. Mm -hmm. And then I also think people who are newer in it sometimes read or listen to podcasts and things like that. And they'll hear someone paint this extremely complex picture and think, oh, if I can't do all of that, then I shouldn't even try. And I think for most of us, you know, you're not going to be, you may get to that point of complexity once you've proven the necessary levels of that complexity. So working towards it is important.
0: Very good. Abby, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Thank you. It was lovely to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. If you have any thoughts for a customer experience podcast topic, please feel free to drop me a line on LinkedIn. As always, feel free to subscribe or listen to this and other great insight on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. Thanks so much. Have a great week. See you right back here. Same place, same time next week.